You're listening to Podcateers. Welcome to episode 352 of Podcateers. This is part three of our dive into the Society of Explorers and Adventurers. And in this episode, we talk about one of the most notable members of the SEA, Barnabas T. Bullion. We also talk about how his story could possibly connect all the versions of the Big Thunder Mountain story. We also bring up some lesser known characters and we talk about Jock Lindsay. If you have any thoughts that you'd like to share about this episode or any other episode that we've posted so far, join the conversation over on Discord. You can check out the blog post for this episode at podcateers.com slash 352 for an invite link. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just search for Podcateers. Our charity team, Teamboat Willie, will be participating in the first ever virtual chalk walk to raise money for the Children's Hospital of Orange County. We're preparing some auction items that are going to be going up very soon via Instagram that were very generously donated to help our fundraising efforts. Since they'll be posted on Instagram, if you're interested and you're not following us yet, this would be a great time to start. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Podcateers. You can also search for Teambo Willie on Instagram, which is another great place to find that auction information. However, the best place to find info about the team and things that we're doing is by going to teamboatwilly.com. On that page, you'll find the charity that we're currently raising money for, but you'll also find links to be able to make a donation if you choose. You can also join our team if you'd like to help us fundraise. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out. We'd love to have you as part of the team. Once those auctions go up, all proceeds are going to go straight to the Children's Hospital of Orange County. That link again is teamboatwilly.com. Super easy to remember because it's just like Steamboat Willie, but without the S. So we're about to kick off this episode, but before we do, I would love to take a moment to thank a very special group of people known as the FGP Squad, aka our podcast, Fairy Godparents, because it's their monthly support via Patreon that helped make these episodes of Podcateers possible. Being a part of the FGP Squad family gets you some additional perks like exclusive discounts for Podcateers gear, additional content, and access to our monthly happy hour calls. If you would like more information on how you can become part of the FGP Squad family, we invite you to check out podcateers.com slash FGP. And as always, a super special thank you goes out to the FGP Squad for their continued support. Alright, so it's time to get this episode started. We hope that you're having fun learning about the SEA in these episodes so far. We appreciate you taking the time to listen and to hang with us. Here is episode 352 of Podcateers. Dash, Tony Baxter. Mm-hmm. And that's because just yes, like Harrison yes. Hightower III was based on Joe Rohde, Barnabas T. Bullion was based on Tony Baxter. Okay, so back on our real-world timeline, uh, it was during the reimagining of Big Thunder Mountain at Walt Disney World that not only brought us uh, Jason Chandler back into the mix, but... Mm-hmm. It's also what brought us Barnabas T. Bullion, you know, because alongside the letter 
that I read a little while ago, you can also find correspondence from T.W. Bullion, another mm-hmm. member of his family who operated a silver mine in Virginia City, Nevada. Uh, now, I think this is also where you can find some wanted posters that T.W. had sent Barnabas uh, to warn him of these mine thieves that were attacking his mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, T.W., by the way, uh, also an homage to the one and only Tony Wayne Baxter. Of so, course. You know, he gets it from two characters. I mean, that's that's love right there. What more do you it want? It is. <laughs> right? <laughs> well deserved. Um, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, plus, if you know a little bit of Disney history, at some point you may have heard of a former attraction called the Mine Train through Nature's Wonderland, which yes. boarded guests in the small town of Rainbow Ridge. And although that attraction is now extinct, remnants of the small town still remain around Big Thunder Mountain. Um, as a matter of fact, at Disneyland, as you're kind of reaching the final turn to get off the attraction, the little set of buildings that you see, that's part of Rainbow Ridge. And what's cool is that when they added the character of Barnabas Cibulian, not too long after, they added his portrait to the Panhandle Hotel in Rainbow Ridge. So you have the opportunity to see this, you know, majestic old guy that used to <laughs> mine and stuff inside of Disneyland as well, which mm-hmm. I thought is pretty cool. It's a nice little homage to the attraction that kind of started it all. Yeah, pretty much. I do want to point out, though, that there's there's some confusion about the dates and the characters involved, and it kind of depends on which park you go to. Um because it can kind of cause these weird continuity issues in the story. So as far as the SCA is concerned, I don't know like how much of this can be considered canon, especially considering like the crazy amounts of fandom stuff that exists. Mm-hmm. Like it's insane how much stuff you can find on the SCA and all mm-hmm. over the internet. Right. Yep. But If you treat Big Thunder Mountain at each of the Disney parks as one in the same, and if you tweak a couple of the dates, the story of Henry Ravenswood of Phantom Manor and Barnabas T. Bullion oddly work really well together. Yeah, I I agree. It's just... um... Like you were just mentioning the other, there's so many different characters that play a part. And yeah, it's just, there's so many stories that just stem off of this. Like what we're telling is probably the scratching of the surface. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) And so so I'm actually going to attempt to tell you like how, how they all kind of mix into each other. The story, at least, of Barnabas T. Bullion, Henry Ravenswood, and the Disney Kingdoms novel, because even that had some stuff that wasn't in, like, the, the canon. Well, here. So, let me start here. So, right. 
in the 1840s, right, it said that there was an indigenous tribe that inhabited the area of the Big Thunder Mountain Range. Mm -hmm. And they held this belief that the mighty Thunderbird spirit lived within the mountain and protected both the land and their people. So they considered the mountain sacred. Now, around this same time, this guy named Beacon Joe makes his way into the area. He settles down, starts trading with the tribe. Like, he knows the guys that can produce furs and everything and starts trading all these goods, right? So he makes a home mm -hmm. for himself in, in this area of Big Thunder Mountain Range. Now, in, in around 1849, you know, in rolls Henry Ravenswood. He discovers that there's gold inside Big Thunder Mountain, and he establishes the town of Thunder Mesa, the small town seen in the Disneyland Paris version of the attraction. So, uh, like, he's, he's a greedy dude, right? So he mm -hmm. just chases out the indigenous people to mine the land, and then he founded the Big Thunder Mining Company. Now... Here's where the first possible continuity issue would come up because 1849 is also the same year that a young Jason Chandler moved into the small town of International Village in the Big Thunder region, right? So, right. so continuing on with the story, um, the mountain is like ridiculously profitable for Henry Ravenswood, yeah. but in 1860, disaster strikes. This powerful earthquake shakes Thunder Mesa, destroys the mines, and kills Ravenswood. Right? So mm -hmm. his death unleashes all of these malicious spirits and curses everyone who comes in contact with the mountain or who goes to mine gold from the mountain. Now, this could be the same earthquake that swallows Jason Chandler. You oh, know, if true. you remember his story, you know, uh -huh. there was a time around that same like time frame where he gets swallowed by the earth, apparently, along with his drilling machine. Could it be right. the same one? Maybe. But what we do know is that he ultimately survives and he goes on to establish Discovery Bay. After that, mining continues you know, on the mountain, but it continues at a lesser rate because now everybody's afraid of all of these spirits. They're afraid of the earthquakes. But in 1869, the little town of Rainbow Ridge was established. Now, all of Bouillon's family were super wealthy people, and they were all miners. They, they were all these greedy tycoons, right? Right. And their family is primarily referenced in the Disney Kingdom series by Marvel, which expands on the development of his family. So his wife, his daughter, Abigail. Uh, but what we what we know is that he basically goes out west to Arizona because he considers gold his birthright, you know, because, you know, it's in his name. It's a Boolean. Right. It's in his name. But. He also believes that the ultimate gold strike is also his destiny. Okay, so he feels that he's going to be the one that finds the gold mother load somewhere. So he goes out west. Now, this is purely speculation on my part. But as a gold magnate, 
it doesn't sound like Bouillon was the adventuring type. But in 1870, he went on an expedition down the Colorado River, which is referenced to Disneyland, which I'll talk about later. But it was the same year that he joined the Society of Explorers and Adventurers and became really good friends with a guy named Jason Chandler. Now, I couldn't find anything, obviously, to support this. Again, it's purely speculation on my part, but I feel like money alone wasn't able to get him into the Society of Explorers and Adventurers, that they required you to go on some kind of adventure, and and Jason Chandler or somebody told him, look, go on an expedition down a river. He chose the Colorado River, and that was kind of like, required to join that was his initiation so to speak you took the words out of words out of my mouth exactly that like every person has something to kind of back up that they've done something that's what i got too like you yeah like you said like a requirement yeah you know check this box if you've done it Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And so Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was just the easiest for proximity or easiest as far as rapids. And he knew that he could just kind of, you know, do it as easily as possible. But it did feel like an initiation. But um, so after joining the SEA, he probably started hearing all of these stories from other explorers, including one that prompted an expedition with Chandler in search of El Dorado. And why wouldn't he go in search of El Dorado, right? If he considered the ultimate gold strike his destiny, why wouldn't he go searching for it? The jackpot. (laughs) Exactly. So if you're not familiar with the story of El Dorado, uh, it's a very popular misinterpreted colonial Spanish myth about El Rey Dorado. Uh, or the Golden King, where instead of using gold as currency, they essentially used a bunch of gold to build a city. And if you're an Indiana Jones fan and that sounds familiar to you, that's because it was a really big part of the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And they go off and they discover El Dorado or Actor, the lost city of gold. Um, yep. For now, though, <laughs> I want to bank that Indiana Jones reference. So let's just put that away in our pocket for a little bit. Uh, okay. Because believe it or not, Indiana Jones actually shows up again in the story of the SEA. Um, now, before I go too far, I do want to remind you that this episode of Podcasters has been made possible by the generosity of the FGP squad, a.k.a. our podcast fairy godparents, because it's their monthly support via Patreon that help make these episodes of Podcasters possible. And if you would like more information on how you can become a part of it, you can head over to podcasters.com FGP. Being a part of the FGP Squad family gets you all sorts of cool things like exclusive discounts on Podcasters gear, additional content, access to our monthly happy hour calls. Uh, so if you've been enjoying this or any of the other episodes that we've put out or you just enjoy our podcast and you'd like to see us grow, again, podcasters.com FGP is where you want to go to get more information. And of course, to all of the members of the FGP Squad, we just want to send a huge thank you for all of your continued support. 
so where was I? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So now uh, he's a part of the society, right? right? And he he somehow, maybe even through Jason Chandler, catches wind of this mountain out west that is just oozing gold. So in 1879, he travels to the Western River Valley of Arizona and became president and apparently new owner of the Big Thunder Mining Company. Now, here's where the next continuity issue kind of surfaces because there's a land grant stating that the Big Thunder Mining Company was established on September 23rd, 1948 by Barnabas T. Bullion, exactly where he moved to, the Western River Valley Mining Company in Arizona at Big Thunder Mountain. Now, who owned that Big Thunder Mining Company after Ravenswood died? Did it just sit there, like, ripe for the taking? Was it Barnabas T. Bullion that was just greedy enough to falsify paperwork, making him the rightful owner of the company when Henry Ravenswood established the company all those years ago? Maybe. Who knows? (laughs) I mean, greed makes you do some crazy things, right? Yeah. (laughs) So it's very possible that he's like, oh, nobody owns this. It's my company now. Who's going to argue with me? I'm I'm a gold mining tycoon. Who's going to say otherwise? Right. (laughs) Right. Either way, Bullion is now out west. Right. And he sets up his office at Rainbow Ridge in in 1879. That's the little town that we know at Disneyland. In 1880, the town of Tumbleweed was established. That's the town that we know from Walt Disney World. And although it suffered through like droughts and flash floods, like he didn't care. Like Bullion ended up making the Tumbleweed location the headquarters for the Big Thunder Mining Company. And of course, hangs a big old portrait of himself for everyone to see whenever they came by. I mean, <laughs> why not, right? And and if you pay really close attention, you know how uh, there's stories of miners taking down canaries into the mine to make sure that they could still breathe and everything. And if the canaries died, they knew they couldn't go too far and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. In the queue at the Walt Disney World version, there's an empty bird cage with the name Rosita on it. Oh, uh, yeah, I know. I know. I totally did not see that. Yeah. So I thought that was a pretty cool Easter egg that also connects another attraction that we're going to end up talking about later as well. Uh, Anyway, so so that same year, Bullion decides to overhaul the Big Thunder Mining Company with new technology, right? Mm -hmm. And so who does he contact? His good buddy, Jason Chandler, who... When he was selling them all this stuff, is telling Bullion, look, dude, it's haunted. Don't do it. You're my buddy. Come on, Barney. Don't do it. I've consulted with Madame Zarkov at the Museum of the Weird. Remember the letter? Yep. Bullion refuses, right? He's like, whatever. I don't believe in that. That's what Harrison Hightower said, too, ironically. And so he minds Big Thunder Mountain anyway. Right. And because he wanted the gold, he did whatever he had to do to continue mining. 
And tragedy after tragedy continues to strike the little mining towns. But at some point between 1880 and 1899, Barnabas T. Bullion died of unrevealed causes. And then he was just gone. Just like that. Sass, as they mm-hmm. say. So <laughs> there's a lot in the story that, again, mixes in really, really well and can somehow connect all of the attractions. And it does mm-hmm. include some stuff from the Disney Kingdoms novels. Um, but I will say that the SEA is never referenced in the Disney Kingdoms novel. So this kind of brings into question whether or not his daughter Abigail and his wife are actually considered canon in the SEA storyline. But, I mean, then again, if you aggregate all of the pieces into the story that we just told, it could all be canon. It just hasn't been told yet. Right. You know, the attraction was reimagined in 2013, and then the novel was released in 2015, And considering how long these novels take to write and publish, it could just be that there was an overlap in the storytelling. You know, they Mm -hmm. maybe they weren't allowed to reveal certain things that were going to be a part of the attraction. And that's the reason they weren't included. I mean, who knows? Oh, do you want me to tie it to pirates? Yes. Yes. This was an interesting one. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So remember how I mentioned that early in the 1840s this guy by the name of beacon joe settles in the area by the late 1850s beacon joe wanted nothing to do with anything that happened at big thunder mountain he's like deuces i'm out but unlike bullion you know who stayed there obviously beacon joe moves away as far as he can and he settles just outside of new orleans in the Louisiana parish. And although he had a little shack in an alligator swamp at another location, Joe's most recognizable home is a shack in the Blue Bayou where he sits with his pet dog named Moonshine. (laughs) Come on now. Come on now. And if you know, you could picture this. That's why I'm laughing. (laughs) You could picture it. You know exactly what it is. I, I I mean, just, again, I don't know how much of this is all canon. But, right. again, I mean, he's not a member of the SEA. He's not anything. He just happens to be a supporting cast member. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's part of the story somehow. And now he's tied to another attraction. It's crazy. It's so good. Uh, it's so good. It is. It is. Okay. <laughs> Uh, where are we now? Oh, okay, so in 2014, uh, mm-hmm. at Hong Kong Disneyland, they added this show uh, during their Haunted Halloween event called Horrors of the Amazon. And the show revolved around an explorer by the name of Jonas Brisbane. And during the show, Brisbane told stories of his adventures in the Amazon and he talked about how much he aspired to be a member of the SEA. The crazy thing is that the show only ran a year. It was only for like the few weeks that the ho- that the Halloween season happened this year. And 
he also wasn't an official member of the SEA, but it's important to bring up the story because the SEA itself was getting more recognition at another park, right? And now these mm-hmm. these cast members, these storytellers, were referencing the overall story of what the SEA represented, which is super cool. So... Who knows? Maybe there's more jo- more of Jonas's story that we just haven't heard yet. You know, like we said earlier, maybe it just hasn't been told yet, and we're gonna get more in a future attraction. Mm-hmm. Right? Or we'll have it discovered soon. You know, you exactly, know? <laughs> exactly. Um, so 2015, the SEA got some major attention, and. A lot of the lore that eventually led up to the SEA was made canon. So for starters, uh, a new establishment opened in the area now known as Disney Springs at Walt Disney World called Jock Lindsay's Hangar Bar. Um, Remember how I asked you to bank that Indiana Jones reference earlier? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, well, bring it back. This is the place to take it out of your pocket because we were first introduced to Jock Lindsay as Indiana Jones's pilot during the first scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark while he was flying his seaplane, the OBCPO. Yep. <laughs> awesome, right? It is. <laughs> so Jock Lindsay was not only a skilled pilot, but also a stunt pilot. And he worked air shows all over the country, right? He Mm -hmm. even had an opportunity to perform as part of the flying circus of the legendary aviatrix Bessie Queen Bess Coleman in 1925. And by 1931, he had established his own group called the Air Pirate Circus. Uh, eventually he would move to Venezuela for some time, which according to him was because he loved the calm skies, but a lot of people believe that he had been in an aircraft accident and he was trying to lay low because he just couldn't perform the way that he used to. Uh, eventually though, he made his way back and because he knew so many people and like in the the aircraft community and he was beloved by so many people he just got opportunities left and right it was that great rapport and his amazing aviation skills that were the reason that he was constantly being hired by indiana jones to go on adventures but they did tend to butt heads a lot obviously because uh jock jock was kind of a chill dude Right. Like he was kind of laid back. He's like, whatever, you know, it is what it is type (laughs) guy. And Indiana Jones was like really wound up and really stern and everything, you know. Uh, Plus, there is Indy's fear of snakes. And of all things that Jock Lindsay could have had, he had a boa constrictor as a pet. Reggie. Yeah. That's (laughs) it. A boa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Just right there. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Yep. Yeah. Why does it always have to be snakes? <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, in 1934, uh, Lindsay goes on this expedition, right, with Indiana Jones to South Africa in search for the calendar of the sun. 
And then in 1936, he goes down uh, to the Tibetan River along with a colleague of, of theirs called Marcus Brody in search for the Chachapoyan fertility idol. You know the one I'm talking about, right? The little golden statue that like he switches out with, the, with his yeah. little satchel. It's a little famous statue. <laughs> yeah, it's a little famous statue, right? It's famous. Uh, the crazy thing is that the idol was also being sought after by mm-hmm. one of Indiana Jones's rivals, an archaeologist known as Garrett Reed, one of the only people to ever get thrown out of the Society of the Explorers and Adventurers for unethical practices. But I'll tell you more about him shortly. Uh, so 1938 rolls around, right? And Jock Lindsay and his air pirates are performing in Bigelow's Air Circus in Los Angeles. And he becomes friends with few people there. But one of the most notable names that he became friends with was a fellow by the name of Cliff Secord, a.k.a. the Rocketeer. Later that year, he just goes on another quest with Indiana Jones in search for the Fountain of Youth in Central Florida. And while he's there, again, he's a chill dude, right? So while he's there, Mm -hmm. he's like, you know what? I kind of like the vibe here. I like that it's low key. I like this little town called Disney Springs, which is kind of weird that he's already referring to it as Disney Springs, but whatever. (laughs) So he's like, I kind of like this town called Disney Springs. And so in 1943... He goes on yet another adventure to the Nile River in Africa. And by 1948, his adventures and just, you know, just being a stand-up guy in general earned him membership in the Society of Explorers and Adventurers. So by now, he's like, he's getting older. You know, he's been on so many explorations and expeditions and adventures that he's like, I got to start settling down. And in the back of his head, he's like, oh, yeah, Disney Springs. Again, great marketing <laughs> tie-in, Disney. He's like, Disney Springs. <clears throat> so he, he decides to settle there and builds this huge hangar for himself, right? Mm-hmm. He became familiar. While he was there, he became familiar and frequented this location called the Adventurers Club on Pleasure Island. But when Pleasure Island was abandoned and the Adventurers Club ceased to exist, somehow he ended up in, with, in possession of a bunch of the artifacts that used to be at the Adventurers Club, including a statue of a goddess named Babylonia, which was once displayed at the Adventurers Club. But that wasn't all, because the items just kept coming. Lindsay was once wired $500 by Indiana Jones to retrieve the Chachapoyan idol, which at, I guess was stolen, you know. And when he mm-hmm. retrieves it, he now keeps it on a shelf in his hangar. Then he somehow comes into possession of three voodoo dolls that resembled Indiana Jones, Willie Scott, and Short Round that were created by this Indian priestess, Mola Ram. Who was the last owner of those three voodoo dolls, you might ask? Oh, you know, just one of Indiana Jones' affiliates. Uh, You might know him. His name is Trader Sam. Ah, very familiar. (laughs) Last guy that owned those three voodoo dolls. 
So now, you know, the mid-1950s rolls around. Again, Jock Lindsay getting older. He decides, you know what? I miss the Adventurers Club. And he decides to convert his hangar into this bar and hangout, similar to what he remembers. And he renames it Jock Lindsay's Hangar at Disney Springs. That's not the official name. I just thought I'd throw it in there. Marketing, right? <laughs> uh, and when he opens it, like when he does his grand opening, a ton of members of the Adventures Club join him for the opening festivities. Now, there was one particular member. I think her name was Samantha, who was also one of the performers at the Adventures Club that they brought back as part of the opening ceremony of Jock Lindsay's Hangar. Uh, just to kind of help tie it all in. As a matter of fact, I don't think she was the only one that was there. It's I don't know if you remember or if you know this, but was there additional members that day? Samantha's the only one that I remember. Not that I could think of, or it's not. Maybe that it was only Samantha. Yeah, maybe it just I don't know. Maybe it was just Samantha. I don't know. Could be. Um, yeah. The point is that they had this big opening day thing, and they like tied it all together, right? Now, that same year, downtown Disney uh, at Walt Disney World had undergone this like major reimagining when it became Disney Springs. And Jock Lindsay was one of the connections to the SEA that made that area and that establishment like officially part of SEA canon, right? But Mm -hmm. at Hong Kong Disneyland, there was an overlay happening during the holiday, the Halloween season that year for their Jungle River Cruise attraction called the Jungle River Cruise Curse of the Emerald Trinity. And it was this like much scarier tone uh, than we're used to seeing. Like the skippers weren't really cracking jokes or anything. Like it, it was basically a lot scarier version of the Jungle Cruise, right? And it was at night, which was super cool. Terror Cruise. <laughs> I know, right? Right? Right. That's the first thing I thought when I saw the video. I'm like, oh, it's it, it's so well done. It's so well done. I know. I yes. Know. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they have a they have a really good track record of doing stuff like that and doing like the haunted mazes and the escape rooms and everything. I don't know why they just don't bring it over here. Like it would be so popular if Disney would just take the leap and bring that stuff over here. Like we've talked about it in multiple episodes, especially around Halloween time. You know, the yeah. stuff that they've done with like the Mad Hatter and I it's I mean for most people, yeah, it would be terrifying, but it would be so much more fun than Winnie the Pooh dressed as a freaking bumblebee. <laughs> you know, I know that there's an audience True. for that, but not me. Like, I'm right. good. Give me something else, right? And I know, mm-hmm. I know that they've tried. Like, what was the thing called that you went to when when they did it um, uh, at the trail at California Adventure? What was it called? Actually, uh, no, I didn't I'm... get to do that because that was during uh, Oogie Boogie. Oh, was Bash. it Gavin that went? It was Gavin. Yes, it was Gavin that went. What was it called though? I don't remember. Oh, it's killing me because I can't remember it. Um. I don't remember. The point is that it was part of Oogie Boogie Bash, right? And they did yes. this like, uh, they think they did this thing with uh, a lot of the villains, and you went into the back into the forest, and you kind of encountered some of the villains and everything. Like that's kind of the scariest that they've ever done. But 
they got to bring some of this other stuff. This is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, this is the the type of attraction that would bring in other audiences. And especially if they don't do it very often, I think it's a really great way to kind of up their game. Oh, but yeah. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> so, um where were we? Oh, yeah. So we're talking about this attraction uh, at Hong Kong Disneyland, right? So mm-hmm. uh, the the whole story of the Curse of the, Emerald Trini- uh, of the Emerald Trinity revolves around this guy by the name of Professor Garrett Reed. And Reed was a disgraced professor who was, uh, like I said earlier, he was kicked out of the Society of Explorers and Adventurers because he was a horrible person. He was allegedly a grave robber. He was highly unethical and did whatever he had to do to acquire and sell items on the black market. I mean, I feel like he and Harrison Hightower III would get along like super well. But I started thinking like, why did he get kicked out? And why did Harrison Hightower not get kicked out if he was also kind of a jerk? Right? Mm-hmm. And the only conclusion that I could come to is that maybe Hightower was just better at hiding it, you know, or maybe it was the fact that, you know, Reed would try to get these things unethically and then sell them on the black market, whereas uh, Harrison Hightower spent most of his time trying to like keep them for himself right mm-hmm. he didn't he didn't mind acquiring them however he had to but then just stashing them away in his hotel right so mm-hmm. i don't know maybe that was the the distinguishing factor between the two it could be i did read a little something that reed was a member of many different clubs so maybe because he was kind of like dipping in and maybe he was doing this to other clubs as well. So he just had like a bad rep and was bad egg. Maybe. But, I mean, wasn't it like Indiana Jones that also like dropped a dime on him and he's like, this guy's a bad egg. Make sure that you don't do any business with him or something. I, I was shocked um, just by like how Reed just bumps heads with everybody. And dude is just not nice. <laughs> Yeah, there I you know, go. <laughs> I know. And but that was the thing, right? That as soon as they caught wind of that, it was in 1929 that Lord Henry Mystic ends up kicking him out of the SEA. You know, mm-hmm. and then because of what Indiana Jones says, he's trying to revoke membership to all the other organizations that you were talking about that he was a part of. So then 1932 rolls around and he's a fugitive, right? He's on the run. Mm-hmm. Like, authorities are on his trail. And that's where this attraction, uh, the Curse of the Emerald Trinity, actually comes in. Because as part of that story, while he's on the run, uh, he steals a boat from the Jungle Navigation Company while searching for the Emerald Trinity, which are just these three enchanted emeralds that grant someone immortality. And as he's looking for them, he finds the two that he needs. Because I think he had one already. 
he finds the ones that he needs. And then his quest comes to an end when he meets his doom administered by cursed vines that will protect the emeralds. Are they cousins of the the wreath in the haunted mansion? I don't know. Maybe. But they're both scary. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be eaten by a plant. No. You know? But he was. <laughs> then he died and he was never seen again. Ouch. And that is where we're going to end this part of the story because the same year that Jock Lindsay's hangar opened at Disney Springs was a major opening called the Skipper Canteen. And of course, the Skipper Canteen has some ties to the Jungle Cruise, which we were just talking about. You know, the Jungle Navigation Company is a really big part of that. Uh, Dr. Albert Falls is going to come into the story next. And uh, it, it's so i mean there's so much it's so fun uh, yeah like you said earlier it's just like you said there's so many like small characters that somehow play into these bigger storylines that we may never hear of again right exactly and while we were researching the story um you know how we were just saying that we were just scratching the surface but back to that easter eggs um really cool thing that i found uh was two things one of them uh, involves the Dominguez Palm that's right outside of the boathouse to the Jungle Cruise. And oh, what's that? It's. I mean, I know what the Dominguez not, Palm is, but what's the mm-hmm. reference? It's a really brief reference to how how they described a palm tree that's just supporting this building. And the palm tree happens to be over 100 years old, which is... In our time, I missed that. The Dominguez Palm is a hundred years plus, so I thought that was pretty oh cool how God. they added that in the little stories. I it's, totally it, missed it, that. That's rabbit hole stuff. <laughs> oh my God, that's and so cool. It is, and the other one that I I thought that was cool, and I actually had to go back and look at pictures. And I'm kicking myself because I remember seeing this the first time being like, what? Who is this? I didn't know. Okay, so I'm going to set everyone up. We are walking in Frontierland. We're going towards Galaxy's Edge. And to our right, there's a red stagecoach. On top of that, there's a tag or um, I can't remember if it's a tag or a letter, but it's it has Jason Chandler's name on it. And nice. now that I know who he is, I'm like, oh my gosh, it makes sense. This is awesome. Before, I didn't know. Yeah. And I was like, who is this guy? I've never heard of him. Why didn't I look up? I, I don't know. I just kept walking at Galaxy's Edge. <laughs> Isn't it crazy, though, how when we first kind of started telling the story, we were talking about how depending on where you first begin to notice these items is how you begin to connect with the story, right? Mm -hmm. And you are a huge Tony Baxter fan, right? I I think Mm -hmm. the the attractions that he's brought us, uh, you know, we have a mutual respect and love for Tony Baxter. And so Uh obviously when the Disney Parks blog or the, the Walt Disney World blog, I think, first announced years ago 
they they displayed the portrait of Barnabas T. Bullion and they said, you know, meet this new character that's coming to uh, Big Thunder Mountain when it reopens and everything. I think a lot of fans were at first they're like, oh, that's Tony Baxter. If you kind of knew what he looked like. Right. Right. But then I bet that there was a ton of people that didn't even bother looking further into the story they're just kind of like oh that's a cool easter egg that's a cool homage and they just left it there but then there's a bunch of other people that were like wait a second why does he have that name and they started googling they started researching and they started finding these connections and that was their entry into the sea or think of somebody that was walking to galaxy's edge and they're like Jason Chandler. Who's Jason Chandler? Is that an Imagineer? Frontierland. <laughs> Jason Chandler. Disney. <gasps> what is this society of explorers and adventurers? And all of a sudden, you're right at the root of the story with the, you know, who, the guy who would become the president of the SEA. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. So it's just insane that all of these Easter eggs... If they weren't already in the park and the Imagineers somehow find a way to loop them back into the canon story, or if they were added as part of reimaginings of the area or of an attraction, some of them are just so well hidden that you just miss them. Like most people miss the Rosita Easter egg with the empty birdcage. Yeah, this person right here. (laughs) And... You know, since we're getting into uh, like the Jungle Cruise part, eventually we're going to end up talking about uh, the Tropical Hideaway, which is connected Mm -hmm. to the Jungle Cruise at Disneyland, which is right next to the Enchanted Tiki Room, which, you know, is also a Marvel Disney Kingdom's comic. So, again, I mean, the connections are all over the place. You just have to look for them. You know, as we continue telling this story, as we get into the next part, I hope that once we're done with this, you decide to explore the parks and, you know, become your own adventurer and try to locate as many Easter eggs and connect the story for yourself. Because, you know, this whole thing started, you know, because we found out that there was possibly going to be this Disney Plus series that was coming for the SEA. And if Uh that's going to be the case, this is going to be fantastic. Right? Because yeah. all these little plot holes, all these things that are questions in our mind that we haven't been able to piece together properly, will finally have a canon reference in in the Disney universe. Right? Like we have all uh-huh. these little bits and pieces, but the puzzle is going to begin to form if this series actually comes to fruition. Right? So and that's going to be I'm exciting. Excited. I know, I know. It's like pee your pants exciting. Yeah. I'll say it. I don't even care. Answers. I mean, (laughs) they could give us everything we wanted and more. So we may get more stories out of this. Who knows? I know. I I know. And like, like you said, or like you said, if we get more stories from other people, maybe we'll, they'll start putting in those people that we saw at like Hong Kong Disneyland that, were aspiring to be members and just, you know, they never got their chance. This would be yeah. their chance. Right. Exactly. On top of creating new characters. And 
I mean, I'm already character. I'm waiting for my wiki page to pop up somewhere. I mean, when I was talking <laughs> about the story earlier, I've already declared myself a member of the SCA. So it is what it is. What can I say? <laughs> okay, Boolean. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's a jerk. <laughs> uh, okay, so that's where we're going to leave the story for today. Uh, before we end the episode, I do want to quickly mention that uh, we were expecting to do March Mayhem, and we're halfway done with March at this point. Uh, truth be told, I just haven't had time to put together all of the animations. We have a bracket. You know, Mel and Gavin worked on creating it, and I, honestly, I just haven't had time to put it together. But last year, because we were all in quarantine, we set the precedent that we ended up doing March Mayhem in April. And yeah. <laughs> we could do that again this year. I mean, we've already Why done not? it. At this point, it's just a matter of using the the March Mayhem and April graphics <laughs> that I already created for last year. I so, say do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, instead of stressing myself out over trying to get everything done, uh, I'm we're just going to do it in April. It's going to be so much easier. It's going to be so much less stressful. It'll be fun. Uh, I love mm -hmm. seeing how people vote for, for things. And uh, we'll, we'll tell you that this year we've decided to go with extinct attractions. And Yay. should we just say who, we, who we're hoping to win? <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll tell you my oh, prediction. Go now. for it. Do you, want, do you want to share your prediction? If not, I'll sure. save it. You know what? No, we'll do it. Let's do it. Why not? Throw it out there. Okay. <laughs> so since we're doing Extinct Attractions, my pick to go all the way is the Mine Train Through Nature's Wonderland. I love that attraction. I never had an opportunity to, to ride it, but that attraction brought us to Rainbow Caverns. And I know that by today's standards, the Rainbow Caverns would not you know, hold a candle to a lot of the stuff that's out there. Um. Uh, but, I mean, there is a variant of it at the Calico Mine Train in Knott's Berry Farm, and it still looks pretty awesome. Um, mm -hmm. I don't care. Either way, Mine Train Through Nature's Wonderland. <laughs> That's going to be my pick to take it all the way. People mover. <laughs> Team oh, people mover. that's a good choice, too. That's a good that's choice, like too. The only attraction to make me cry in Florida. Because <laughs> mm, I miss yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, well... Prepare for that. We're going to be doing March Mayhem in April this year. Uh, so anybody that sent me a message asking if we were going to get it started, thank you for being patient. Uh, yeah. I appreciate you guys asking. We we like doing stuff like this because it's just fun. But again, I've just been kind of busy with other stuff and I haven't had an opportunity to do it. But that's coming. Uh, also, uh, in about a week or so, we're going to start announcing some of the auction information for Team Boat Willie for Chalk. We have uh, a few items that are going to go up for sale. All of the proceeds are going to go as a donation to the Children's Hospital of Orange County as part of our Chalk Walk fundraiser. Uh, if you'd like to join us, we're going to be doing the virtual Chalk Walk this year since we can't walk in person at Disneyland the way that we have in the past. Uh, you can go to TeamBoatWilly.com. Super easy to remember because it's just like Steamboat Willie, but without the S at the front. 
you can find more information on our team. You can find a link to make a donation or to join our team and help us fundraise, uh, whichever you prefer. And if you can't make a donation or you're unable to join our team, help us spread the word. Please share it with your friends. Share our link so that we can raise as much money as possible. We normally try to set an amount or a limit that we try to raise for that year. Uh, this year, you know, considering how things have been going, we decided to not set a limit. And we just figured that any money that we can raise is going to a great cause anyway. So, you know, if you can throw in a buck or two, it's certainly helpful in the long run. Because if a thousand people donate one dollar, that's a thousand dollars that we end up raising. So it is, you know, we've done that challenge before. You know, uh, donate one dollar to our charity and then tag somebody else to donate a dollar. And then that person donates their dollar and they tag somebody else to donate a dollar. And if anybody wants to donate more, of course they can. But the challenge is just to donate a dollar and then pass it on and ask them to do the same. Uh, the more people that we can get to do that, the better it turns out. So, again, teamboatwilly.com is where you want to go if you have any questions. You can always reach out to us. Uh, you can reach out to us either on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Just search for Podcateers. We also have a Teamboat Willy Instagram if you'd like to follow that. We usually post some of the events and the stuff that we're doing for Teamboat Willy. Uh, or you can connect with us on our Discord server. If you haven't joined us yet, you can go to the blog post for this episode or podcateers.com. You'll find a link to the Discord server that does include an invite. Just click on it, follow the instructions, and you can join us there. Uh, it's a very small community. We just recently started the Discord server, but it's a really fun community. And anytime that we start talking about something, the conversation just kind of rolls, and people share links to things, pictures, stories about the parks, uh, Disney food that they're cooking at home while they're yeah. you know, not able to get it at the parks. And it's just fun. Uh, I, I've enjoyed it a lot. Last week, we did a live stream for the FGP squad on there as we were testing some of our settings. And uh, if you haven't seen it, we also ended up posting it on Facebook uh, for those that didn't have access to the Discord server, just to give you an opportunity to see some of the things that we're going to be doing. And again, if you have any questions about the FGP squad, you can always go to podcateers.com slash FGP. So I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode, Mel. I'm excited because yeah. we get to continue talking about the Jungle Cruise and the Skipper Canteen. Kungaloosh! Good stuff. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I think I put too much emphasis on the Kungaloosh this time, but it's okay. No, we're, we're home stretch. We got this. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. All right. So <laughs> that is going to wrap it up for this week. So until next time, keep dreaming, keep moving forward, and always remember to pass on the magic. Have a fantastic week, everyone. Bye.